Good morning. Uh, this morning you have the backup to the backup. <laughs> but I hope you came prepared to praise the Lord. Um, I hope your hearts are prepared before you even showed up here. Don't come here and say, okay, Lord, what can you bless me with? I hope you are willing to be a blessing for the Lord this morning. So let's all stand and sing our first song, I Will Bless Thee, O Lord. I will bless thee, O Lord. I will bless thee, O Lord. With a heart of thanksgiving, I will bless thee, O Lord. Okay, again. With my hands lifted high. in a small church and I would look around and see some people not singing at all and uh, I said one time you guys are not going to feel very comfortable in heaven the ones that are not singing because I have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot of praising the Lord up there and somebody got real mad at me they said well why would you say that and I said you never sing <laughs> so let's do our next song wonderful grace of Jesus Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall his praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of The matchless grace of Jesus, greater than the mighty rolling sea, higher than a mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name. 
matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountains, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame, oh magnify the prayer. Of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than a mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious. Many of you got strained by that last praise his name. That was almost too much for me. <laughs> now we're going to sing Count Your Blessings. And I hope all of you have many of them to count. And if you had time, you wouldn't have time to count them all this morning. But that's what we're going to sing anyhow. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost Count your many blessings, name them one by one And it will surprise you what the Lord has done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Help and comfort blessings in your journey's end. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. God hath done. 
Okay, we're going to have greeting time. Take a minute or two and greet some people that maybe you haven't seen before. I see a visitor out there, at least one. So make sure you go and visit. Okay, if everybody can return to their seats and we can get on to some special treat. Teddy's going to do a song for us here in just a minute. And then we got Ann also, so we're going to have double specials. You ready, Teddy? Come on up. Hmm? Yeah. 
And now you gently break me, then lovingly you take me, hold me as my father, and mold me as my maker. I ask you how many times will you pick me up when I keep on letting you down? 
And each time I will fall short of your glory, how far will forgiveness abound? And you answer, my child, I love you. And as long as you're seeking my face, you will walk in the power of my daily sufficient grace. At times I may grow weak and seem a bit discouraged, knowing that someone, somewhere could do a better job. to serve you. I know I don't deserve you. And that's the part that burns in my heart and keeps me hanging on. I ask you how many times will you pick me up when I keep on letting you down. And each time I will fall short of your glory. How far will forgiveness abound? And you answer, my child, I love you. And as long as you're seeking my face, you'll walk in the power of my daily sufficient grace. You are so patient with me. that I could never pay was paid at Calvary. So instead of trying to repay you, I'm learning to simply obey you by giving up my life to you for all that you've given to me. I ask you how many I keep on letting you down, and each time I will fall short of your glory, how far will forgiveness abound? And you answer, my child, I love you, and as long as you're seeking my face, I walk in the power of my daily sufficient Thank you, Teddy. Thank you, Anne. And now we all bow our heads. We're going to have a word of prayer before uh, we're going to have one more song. And then Pastor Joe will come up here and preach and give us what we need, hopefully. Dear Lord, we pray that you just be with us this morning as we continue to worship you, Lord, in song, but also as we hear the message preached, Lord. 
We pray that the Holy Spirit will have free will with Pastor Joe to give us what we need, Lord. But not only that, that our hearts would be open to your word, Lord, and we would apply it to our life, Lord. And just, Lord, use us for your glory and your honor and this church for your glory and your honor, Lord, as we reach out into the Hillsville area to proclaim the gospel, Lord. And, Lord, uh, may we just be the Christians that you'd want each of us to be and live a life that pleases you. And, Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we got one more song. We're going to be singing Worthy of Worship. And J.L. picks all these songs, so you can thank him. He, he does a great job. He puts a lot of effort into them.
What a wonderful day of worship, and we can continue to worship now as the Word of God is open, and I hope that we continue a heart of worship. Uh, worship doesn't end because preaching begins, rather it's the continuation of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, everything we've sung this morning has been to point us to the Word, it's been to point us not just merely to the inspired Word, but to the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you notice what the Lord does, the way He orchestrates things in His providence to bring two specials back to back, that uh, one... Uh, show an absolute humility of the one that's singing it, and two, point us to an absolute dependence upon the grace of God. There is not a single thing that you and I can do in our life outside of God's grace. Every breath is by His grace. Every step is by His grace. Every word is by His grace. Everything is by His grace. Everything that God expects of us, He enables us and equips us by His grace to accomplish. Not for our glory, but for His. Any bad thing you do in your life, that is all you. Take all the credits you want. Amen? Any good thing you do in your life, that is the Lord's grace through you. We must never get that mixed up. Take your Bible and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 today. We've been looking at this series now for a couple of weeks. Not last week because I wasn't here, so i got to preach extra long today. That's what somebody told me. I'm just going by my orders, alright? <laughs> We're looking at the faithful foundations of the heart and the home. Everything in your life begins in your belief about God and who He is in your heart. But I want you to know what you believe in your heart about God will be the belief of your home about God. The effects will be in your home, and the effects of your home will be in your church, and it will be in your community. It begins out of the heart. And now we've got to understand today as we come to this passage, we've dealt with it already a little bit as we looked at verses 1 through 5. We're getting ready to get into the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at the first one today. This is the retelling of the commandments, and you guys have all heard them before. You've seen them on uh, on, on uh, billboards, and you've seen them in Sunday school lessons, you've read them in Exodus, you've read them here in Deuteronomy. You know what they're supposed to be, you know that we're supposed to do them, don't you? I want you to know that the Ten Commandments do not phase out. God's law doesn't phase out. God's law remains God's law. Now you say, well, we're not under the law or under grace. Amen, because if we weren't under grace, we couldn't keep none of it in the first place. If it wasn't for grace, you and I would be nothing but God-denying God-haters. We forget that that's what we were saved from. I want to read for us today verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. I'll read that one more time. Thou shalt have None other gods before me. Heavenly Father, we come to You this time. We thank You for the songs of worship that we could sing to You, that we could hear sung about You and to You and for You. Pray that now, O God, that You would take Your Word, that You would apply it to every heart in this place. God, that You would break us and mold us and shape us, make us who we need to be. God, would You crush every God and idol that is in our life that is not You. God, that it would be You alone that stands as the God of our hearts and our homes. God, I pray that You give strength and liberty to preach Your Word. Give a spirit of unity today. 
God, that you would guard my heart, my mind, my tongue. It would be you who preaches to your people. Lord, I'm inadequate and I'm unable. But God, I pray that your grace will give everything that is needed today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you right now to take your bulletin or to write down a list of the five things in your life that mean the most to you, what would they be? Everyone in here today could take a pen, could start writing. You could come up with more than five things or five people that are important to you, right? Especially if you've got more than five kids or grandkids or great-grandkids, right? You'd probably write your spouse, kids, grandkids, or maybe you'd just go, well, i got too many there, so i just lump that family. Job, house, basics, food, water, shelter. And, and you definitely, I know everyone in this room today would put God on that list. Not a single one this morning would not put God on that list. As a matter of fact, most, he, most heathens today would at least put God or spirituality on their list of top five important things in their life. Every man and woman in this world is very spiritual. Someone just don't have the right spirit. Don't serve the right God. You say, well, how can we say that we serve the right God? It's pretty easy. We just read it. I am the Lord. Thy God. That settles it. There is no debate. God is God. And He is God alone. There is no other. And anyone and anything that is worshipped besides the God of the Bible is a false God and is an idol. But I'm afraid that you and I don't understand the depths of our, our idolatrous hearts, nor do we understand the heart of who God is. And that's why we run to such idolatry in our life. Not one of us this morning would leave out God on our list of top five important things in our life, but not one of us this morning would be able to say that He is the only God that we serve. You say, well, I, I, I'm monotheistic. I only serve the God of the Bible. How woefully our lives beg to differ. Having a faithful foundation will order our hearts and our homes to the glory of God alone. And we have to understand that we all say that our order is right, but our lives and our thought lives, our heart lives, our belief life, our financial life, our church life, our family life, our social life, our private life that no one else sees, it begs to differ. You and I claim to serve the God of the Bible, but we serve many more than that. Perhaps the biggest God that we serve is the one that we see in the mirror every day of our life. We commit much more idolatry than we realize or want to admit. And we have much false belief that we'd care to admit. D.L. Moody put it this way, and this was in the 1800s, mind you. Just put that in a frame. Let's, let's do this. Were the 1800s the same as the 1900s? No. Were they the same as the 2000s, 2000s, whatever we are? But yeah, that's it. No, they were a lot different, weren't they? Matter of fact, most of us would say back in, back in the day, it was a Christian nation, a godly nation. The preachers of the day didn't quite think so. Dio Moody said, you don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. Every one of us this morning would say, I don't love anything more than God. 
Survey says... And that's the preacher included. I would love to tell you that every time I walk up these long, long steps to preach God's Word, that He is the only one that I'm serving. I'd love to tell you that when I go home, that the only God that I think about, serve, and sacrifice for is the Lord our God, who has had His Son's precious blood shed for us, shed for me, shed because of me, because of my sins. Far too often, it's not the case. We serve the things that we sacrifice the most for. We love the things that we sacrifice the most for. As a matter of fact, love is sacrifice in action. What do we sacrifice to have in our life? What do we sacrifice to keep in our life? We have a plague today that we make great sacrifices to do all sorts of worldly things and we sacrifice little to know the Word of God. We sacrifice much to make sure our children are happy. There's nothing wrong. We want them happy, but you know what's better than that? To have holy children set apart for God. We do everything we can to make sure that we are happy, but you know what's better than being happy? Being holy before God. You and I sacrifice much to keep all the things that we have. And let me go ahead and help you out with everything that you own today. First of all, you don't own it. And secondly, it will burn one day. Why do we sacrifice so hard for the things that are temporary and that cause us to have our hearts stray from God? We have too much confusion in our hearts. We have too much crowding going on in our hearts. And it's led to confusion in our homes about who God is and what serving Him should look like. It's led to a multitude of problems in our culture. Tozer put it this way, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thought about God that is unworthy of Him. Most of our thoughts are unworthy of God. Most of our thoughts about God are unworthy of God. Now, I've had plenty of folks who get all sorts of upset when we talk about who God is and His holiness and His righteousness and His justness and all those things. They say, we don't emphasize those so much. God did, so I think we ought to. There is not a one of us this morning that thinks too highly of God. Oh, how we think far too highly of ourselves. When we come to this very first commandment, we see thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is making His law abundantly clear. He is revealing His character, His nature, abundantly clear to each one of us that hears us, that hears this word that day. To those who are the children of Israel as Moses retelling the law that they had heard back in Mount Sinai. And we're going to get into this in a few moments. But the people that were hearing it on this day in, De- in Deuteronomy chapter 5, most of them were just little kids. They would have seen the mountain and they would have remembered some things. They would have remembered who God was and how they were scared to death. And how mom and dad were scared to death. And had a holy fear of who God was. Who God is. Who God always will be. You see, the foundation of our hearts and our homes stands firm or it crumbles depending upon what we believe about God. 
And on that day that they saw God overtake that mountain and give them the law, they knew what to believe about God. But you and I have departed about what we are to believe about God because we've departed from His Word. That's His revealed Word. That's Him telling us, this is who I am, this is what I'm like, this is what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm going to do. This is what you need to know about me. You trust and believe it by faith. We live it by faith. It's all given by grace. It's revealed by grace. It's only kept by grace through faith. That's it. I want us to know very clearly today, in my own heart as well, that there is room for only one God in our heart. There is room for only one God in our home. Everything else must be put to death. Everything else must be driven away. The reason why we don't take the commands of God serious is because we don't take God serious. The reason why we don't take obedience serious is because we don't take the very nature and character of who He is and what He requires of us. You say, well, preacher, I can't be perfect. Neither can I, but Jesus took care of that. This is why daily and moment by moment we must look to Christ for life, for grace, for empowerment, for faith, for every step and every breath of our life both physical and spiritual. There's nothing spiritual you'll ever accomplish in your flesh. At least not good. You say, well, pastor, I want to obey God. I would tell you, I want to too. And I believe that everything stems from this one little verse. Y'all know what doors swing on? Hinges, that's right. Some of y'all seen doors before. Rest of you, y'all can look at these exit signs in case of emergency. They're right there. They swing on hinges. They're not so big in comparison to the door, are they? I want you to know when we look at this verse, we see the mighty hinge that will determine your life's course and your children and your grandchildren. And on down to the line. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Here in verse 6 and 7, the first thing we're going to notice today is God's preeminence. You and I, we have heard God's preeminence a million times over, and we need to hear it a million times over again. We know it going into every morning that Christ must be preeminent, is to be preeminent in all things. Matter of fact, Colossians tells us that He might have preeminence in all things. Why? Because He is the one who has caused and given and created and sustains and holds all things together. Therefore, He ought to be preeminent in every part of our life. Every part. Some say, well, you know, God cares about everything in my life. He just, you know, He doesn't want my money. He does. Because He gave it to you. He wants your breath. And He deserves it. He desires every bit of you and deserves every bit of you. You and I divvy up and we give God portions of our life, portions of our attitude, portions of our needs, portions of our heart, portions of our home, And we wonder why our hearts and our homes are mostly in shambles. Shells of Christianity on the outside, but on the inside full of dead men's bones, even rotten worms. No life. No faith. No vigor. No foundation. When we look at God's preeminence, we need to see, first of all, in these verses, the singularity of God. Notice in verse number 6, 
God says, I am the Lord thy God. This is a complete contrast to everything that the Israelites had ever known. They had lived in captivity for about 400 years in Egypt. And let me tell you, the Egyptians did not serve the God of the Bible. The Egyptians did not serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And even just because old Joseph was used by God, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And he preserved not just Egypt, the pagans. God preserved the pagans. Can you believe that? Through God's man. By grace, through faith. And what did the Egyptians do? Did they say, you know what? Because Joseph serves God and he's interpreted dreams and he's saved us over these few years of famine, we're going to start serving that God. Not one bit. They cranked it up even more. Matter of fact, they worshipped Pharaoh as a god. You say, well, who would be foolish enough to worship a man as a god? I can tell you who. The vast majority of us. We have applied deity to humanity and it's only happened one time because God put on flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. Glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. The Egyptians were a, a pagan people. And where the Israelites were going now into the promised land, you know what it was full of? A pagan people. People who worship false gods. I can tell you what they worship. They worship demons. Y'all don't believe it. Any Hindu today, any Buddhist today, they're not worshiping different Hindu gods and goddesses or Buddha gods and goddesses. They are worshiping demons. And I can tell you this, the vast majority of those who call themselves Christians are more demonic than anything. Because they don't know the God they say they know and they refuse to worship Him the way in which God has declared that we are to worship Him. I want you to know this, we don't determine how we worship God. God determines how we worship God. We don't determine what our hearts should bow down to. God has determined who we bow down to. And it's Him alone. We don't determine what our homes are to be ordered like and ordered after and should look like. And God does. He is God. And there is no other. You see, in our own day, we're surrounded by Egypt and Canaan as well. We've got gods and goddesses for everything. Most of them are dollar bill shaped, house shaped, car shaped. People-shaped, ball-shaped, TV-shaped. We've got gods all sorts of shapes and sizes. And not one of us will do a thing for our eternity. Not one of them will save us from our sins. Not one of them, not one of them will do anything for us. You see, there's a singularity as well in this command. To get this one right is to get the rest right. If we don't get this one right, if we don't get thou shalt have no other gods, it don't matter if you honor your mom and your pa and you don't steal from your neighbor. If you don't love the Lord your God, it don't matter how much you claim to love your neighbor as yourself because you don't love them. A man who don't love God don't love his neighbor. A man that, that don't love God can't love his neighbor. A man that only loves himself can't love God. You and I are full of ourselves. And we live in a world full of ourselves. And we have settled to shuck 
the commandments. And many of us today have said, bless God, we needed the Ten Commandments back in the courthouse. We need them in our own hearts. Forget if Carroll County puts them up or anyone else puts them up. I don't care if we see them on a billboard. I don't care if, the, if they stick them as a tagline in the Constitution. It will not do a thing unless there's obedience by grace through faith. It will do nothing for you. There are countless people who can quote all Ten Commandments in order, nice and pretty, in a row with a bow on top, and live just as godless. We will only obey God by faith. Do you believe that God is God? And if you do, then that should mean that there is no more room in your life for anything else to get in the way. And sadly, we have chosen to not call the gods of our life gods. We just call them other things. But it's time we call the other things in our heart, in our homes, that are taking the place of God, what they actually are. They're the gods that our hearts serve the most. God and His glory is the single object of all things, including these commands, by the way. God is glorified in the revealing of these commands, and God is glorified in our response to these commands. However, He'll only be glorified if we respond correctly. And the only way to respond correctly to God's commands is to respond by faith, to trust Him. Grace reveals, faith responds. All else is flesh. All else is wood, hay, stubble. All else is idolatry. Every bit of it. Notice the singularity of this. God says, I am. No one else. Not, here's the other gods and me, and, and we kind of get along, and I'm the head of the other gods. There is none else. I am the Lord. That's singular, isn't it? He doesn't say, I am one of the lords. I am one of the gods. I am the Lord. The word the Lord here is the word Jehovah. It was the common name that we see throughout the Old Testament. Jehovah, Yahweh. This is who God is. This is the Lord God. It means the one who is self-existing. Any of y'all self-existing? Me either. We all was hatched somewhere. God formed and fashioned us, didn't He? It is God who is self-existing that made everything else that exists exist without God's grace that spoke it all into existence, that formed and fashioned you and I in our mother's wombs. There would be nothing. Because God is self-existing, we can exist only because He has made us. If He didn't make us, we wouldn't be made. He alone is the Lord. This very name declares His nature it declares its character. It declares the covenant of which He is given and kept to the day to His people. And it declares every attribute of who God is. Every attribute is one of the Lord. He is the loving Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the holy Lord. He is the gracious Lord. He is the merciful Lord. He is the kind Lord. He is the patient Lord. He is the wrathful Lord. He is the Lord who is jealous over His people. He is the Lord. By Him being the Lord, it as well means this, that we are to serve Him. You and I have got to understand that we serve far too much that is not the Lord. We've got a lot of little lords in our life that have taken the place of the only Lord that there ought to be in our hearts. We have exchanged the honeydew lists of the world and of our jobs and of our careers 
in exchange for God's commands. What the Lord expects. What the Lord deserves. This is who God is. This is what He does. And this is as well why He does it. He is the Lord. Why does God do what He does? Because He's the Lord. That's it. It's singular, as plain as can be. But notice this as well. He's not just the Lord. He's thy God. The word God here is the word Elohim. It's the same word that was found in Genesis in the early chapters that shows the creative order of things. That God is the God of order, of creation. God is the God who made all things, spoke all things, sustains all things. And all things were made by Him, through Him, for Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. And all things were made for Himself. For His own glory. You know why God made you? For His own glory. You know why God made everything in existence today? For His glory to be revealed and for His glory to be given back to Him that we would reflect His glory, that we would ascribe Him glory. Give Him the glory and the honor and the praise. But the Elohim word here for God is the plural of majesty used in creation account to show the Trinity or the triunity of the Godhead. We don't serve many gods. We serve one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand this. We talked about this in Sunday school, the importance of the Trinity. If you're not a Trinitarian this morning, you're not saved. There is no salvation outside of the person and work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From creation to the day of consummation in the future and everything in between, including your very salvation and your very sanctification and your very glorification, it is by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To deny such is not just heresy. It's idolatry. It is an affront to, to God and who He's revealed Himself to be. There is one God, yet three distinct persons who are equal in person. We have God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping Godhead. And everyone and everything else is false and demonic. Isaiah 45 tells us this, verses 5 and 6. God says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is none else. Let me ask you, is He the Lord? Yes. Is there any else? No. How do I know? He said it. Has any other God or goddess come to you and spoken these words and then be true? No. Not one. Nor will there ever be. God has spoken. We have a book God has written by the very breath of His mouth a living, breathing book that shows us the life and breath of God that points us to know Him. We must as well see the superiority of God. One, because it's a singularity. There is no other God, therefore He's superior, isn't He? Therefore, you can match up any other god or goddess in the world known to man, any sort of mythology, Greek, Roman, any of the Babylonian gods or goddesses, and you know what God says to them? Nana, nana, boo, boo, you are nothing. Nothing. You want to know what you are in comparison to God? We're nothing. 
There's nothing and no one that we can see or not see that could be compared to the Lord our God. There is no match. There is no rival. There is no equal. There is no room for such. And yet we are content in our hearts and our homes to let other things oppose God be served. Who are we to defy God? Who are we to be okay with an improper worship of God? Why would we settle for hearts that are not committed to the Lord our God alone? Why would we settle to not know the God who desires to know us? You see, only the Lord God could and did deliver the Israelites. You say, well, that was in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. Only Jesus Christ the Lord could deliver you from sin. Only Jesus Christ the Lord thy God could deliver you from death. Only Jesus Christ the Lord thy God could deliver you from the hell of which you and I deserve. Only Jesus Christ can deliver. Therefore, you reckon He's superior or not. There is none more superior and there is none more sufficient because there is none superior and there is none that is sufficient. Only Christ. Matter of fact, we don't have time today but over in Exodus, when you read about the ten plagues, I want you to know every one of those as you study it out was God thumbing His nose at every one of those gods. Every commandment, excuse me, every plague that God gave had one of the Egyptian gods behind it that He was thumbing His nose at. Why? Because not one of those Egyptian gods could save them from what was happening to them. Not one of them could hold back the hand of God's wrath. The only one that can hold back the hand of God's wrath is God Himself. That's it. So why must He fight for position in our hearts? Why must we with all of our might fight the hand of God that deserves absolute preeminence? Why do we continue to fight the God who has rescued us? Why do we refuse to surrender to the Savior? Isaiah 40 tells us this. A very familiar passage, of course, but I want you to understand who the Lord is. Isaiah 40, verse number 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, who comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselors, taught him? Who's taught him? With whom took he counsel, or who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the bouts. Behold, he taketh up the isles of a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. Every nation including ours, is as nothing in comparison to God. God breaks down kings and kingdoms and He raises them up. God is God. To whom then will you liken God? <laughs> What's God like? I can't tell you. Or what likeness will you compare Him unto? There's nothing that we can even think or fathom of that can compare to God. The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spread it over the gold and cast the silver chains. 
He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation shoes of the tree that will not rot, he seeketh him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Have it not been told unto you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. And he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who hath created these things and bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh so Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed from my God. Who are we to not have God preeminent in every part of our life? We say, well, God is first in my heart. What about that home of yours? What about your spouse and your children? What about in your bank account? What about in the way that you give? What about the way that you serve? What about the way you sing when it's time to sing at church? What about when it's time to, to, to worship the Lord as a family? What about when it's time to gather you know, wife and children and husband together and to read the Word of God? What about when it's time to early in the morning seek God's face just so you have the strength to make it through the first hour of your work day? What about then? What about then? Can we honestly say that we only serve Christ? Can we honestly say that God alone is preeminent in our life? Anything less than Him being preeminent in our hearts, in our home, it's an idolatrous attack against the God who has redeemed us. We just don't like to view it that way. We just like to say that we slipped up a little or we had a bad day or we were a little in the flesh. I want you to know, you looked at the God who loves you and has preserved you and has saved you and has kept you and will continue to do so till you die. And you have said, I don't need you today. There's these other shiny things in my life that I'm going to serve. That's what this verse means. Notice, in verse 6, that He's the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. He's the one who brought them out of the hand of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He's the one that has saved us from our sins. Therefore, because of that, because of who He is, because of what He's done, we should have no other gods before us. Our heart has the cobwebs of idols. Not because they appeared out of nowhere, but it's because we've got the spiders that spin the webs. We've got idols in our hearts that need killing. Second thing we need to see is God's presence. Notice he says, he was the one that done it. He was the one that delivered them. But he says, thou shalt have no other gods, none other gods before me. Nothing we do, say, think, or are motivated by is hidden from God's presence or knowledge. Not one thing. There is not one thought you will think today, tomorrow, or forever that God does not already know about. 
God knows the very motivation of your heart and why you're here this morning. He knows the very motivation as to why you don't have your home and your heart in order. He knows every bit of that. You say, ouch. But my dear friend, that's a comfort. Because we serve a God who is ever present with us. And one day, we shall be in His presence never to fail Him again. Those of us who know Christ. But we'd better have our homes in order and our hearts in order today. Why? Because God deserves it. He's preeminent. But notice this. When you have someone come over to your home, what do you do? Maybe more specific. What do our wives have us do? We're going to do some cleaning, ain't we? We're going to figure out for the first time in a while where the broom is. We didn't know where it was. We didn't even know we had a broom, did we? Us husbands are going to figure out how the dishes work and how the dishwasher works. We how'd that work? We just thought it got there. We don't even know where the dishes go. We just know they get put away. Why do we do that? Why do we clean before someone comes over? Because we're expecting them to be present in our home. I want you to know, dear believer, Christ has taken up His abode in your heart. The Holy Spirit of God, the presence, the third person of the Trinity, from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity, the one who hovered and covered the earth as God created, as He created all things, as He preserves you, sustains you, convicts you. You know what He is right now? He is that ever-indwelling, enabling, convicting presence in your life. He as well is the token which promises us Christ's return for us, to bring us into His presence forever. We've got some cleaning to do, don't we? If we would spare no expense and we would hurry ourselves to death to clean when we expect company, what in the world do you think we ought to do when God dwells in our hearts? What do you think our homes ought to look like knowing that where we are in our heart, that God is with us in our heart, therefore He's with us in our home, there's probably some things in our home that need cleaning. We've got clutter built up. We've got confusion built up. We've got a mess piled up. And it's time that we get our home in order. The only way to get our home in order is to get our heart in order. The only way to get our heart in order is to see that God is God alone and there is to be nothing else in our life crowding His place. There should be nothing upon the throne of our hearts except for Christ the King. Before me here in the Hebrew is the idea of before my face, to my face, or present. If you and I understood that we have God with us everywhere we go, you would think it would change where we go, what we do, and why we do it, what we say, what we think. This is not merely to beat us up, by the way. This is to show us that if it was not for God's presence, we'd be much worse than we are now. If it wasn't for the indwelling presence of God right now, do you know how sinful I would be? Much more than I am now, and I'm much more sinful than I won't even tell you. You wouldn't want me up here. God's presence. Notice the face of God is important here. God's face is significant in the relationship to our relationship with Him. We see this in the future promise of eternity in Revelation 22 verse 4 that tells us that one day you and I who are in the new heavens and the new earth, that we will see His face. One day I'm going to see my Maker face to face. 
There is nothing more comforting to my heart. I'm going to see God. But there is nothing more frightening. This is why I don't preach for me and I don't preach for you. I have to preach for Him because I'll stand before Him and not you. I stand before you now only because I'm standing before Him now and later. Does that make sense? We'd better start understanding that you're going to stand before God. You're going to see Him face to face. Husbands, fathers, it is you who will give an account for your home. It is you who will give an account. It is you who is held responsible for the heart of your home and the direction it goes and the things that it serves. It is you, dear individual, that is responsible for how you conduct your heart before the face of Almighty God. We scare our children with songs that go, and they're not talking about God, but we have them sung in little elementary schools. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? That's right. Dear believer, if we'll do that for a child, what will it take for us to know, to understand, and to live as if we are living before the face of God? God is not watching you right now to play whack-a-mole. But you're living before His face and He wants you to simply obey Him. Not because He's just going to get angry and fly off the handle. That's not who God is. Rather, it's for your good that you obey Him. It's for our good and His glory. Second, we find, and I'll read this for sake of time, Numbers chapter 6, we see the benediction given to Israel about the face of God. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and say to his sons, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. There's only peace when God is looking at you peacefully. He has other ways of looking and it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He says, And they shall put My name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. It's a blessing when God's face shines upon us. How about this? Leviticus 26, just for sake of time today, in verse, uh, tw- uh, verse number uh, 11 down through 20 in Leviticus 26, we find several things. We find one, that God desires to dwell amongst His people. He says in verse 12, And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt that ye should not be their uh, bondmen. And I have broken the bonds of your yoke and made you go upright. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments and if you shall despise my statutes. And by the way, when you don't do God's commandments, it's because you're despising His commands. He says, and if you shall despise my statutes, if you're soul aboard my judgments, meaning we think we know better than God's judgments, so that ye will not do all of my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I even appoint you over, your, over you terror, consumption, and the burning egg, and that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat it, and I will set my face against you. What a frightening thing to have the face of God against you. We had better have our face toward God. 
God's presence demands faith in Him and a fear of Him. And you won't find the one without the other. You and I have lost a holy reverential fear of God. As a matter of fact, we're told in the last days, we're told about sinners, we're told about those who reject Christ in general, that they have no fear of God before their eyes. And the reason why we sin the sins that we sin is because in that moment we have no fear of who God is. That's a frightening thing. To live without faith in God is to live as if God isn't present. To live without a fear of God is to live as if God isn't powerful. And He is both present and powerful. He is the preeminent God who has saved us. Exodus 19 tells us all about that day that these people had seen this new generation that's getting the law again in Deuteronomy 5. They remember maybe perhaps as little kids, perhaps from their first memories of were there at the mountain in Exodus 19. And God spoke and He comes down upon the mountain in a thick cloud. Moses brings forth the people. They had sanctified themselves and it says in verse 18, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. If you saw that today on Fancy Gap, what are you doing? Probably go to Facebook. It's probably what you're doing. Figure out what it is. We're going to quake. When the voice of the trumpet sounded and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. The Lord came down upon the mount, Sinai, and on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down and charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. We are teaching our hearts and our homes to serve all sorts of things without a holy reverence for God. We like the God who saves. We like the God who gives us things. But God has not changed. And He still deserves every ounce of faith and every ounce of a holy fear of Him. And the two go hand in hand. One does not outshine the other, but rather, they both explain the other. They're definitions of the other. There is danger ahead, church. God says, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. We must cleanse ourselves from the gods we serve in our hearts and our homes. We have allowed our homes to serve other gods. We have allowed our homes to serve an idolatry with Jesus sprinkled on top. Jesus is not the sprinkle in the cherry of the Sunday of your life. He is your life. He is not merely a part of our life. He is our life. That's it. You and I say, well, I don't have any idols because I don't have these gods of gold and silver that I bow down to. We bow down to everything that we sacrifice our life for. Everything we sacrifice our children for. It's been said an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Idols, dear friend, are much more near than we think. We are sadly more friends of idolatry than we are of the God who says thou shalt have no other gods before me. God's preeminence and presence 
must be present in our hearts and homes. We need our homes and our hearts in order, don't we? Let me ask you today, does God have total preeminence in your heart and your home? Absolute and total. 50% won't do. 60, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, not even 99.9. It's good enough for Germex, but it's not good enough for the God of the Bible. He desires and deserves all. Why? Because He's given us all of Himself to us. Let's take the test here. If He's preeminent or not. Think about the time that you spend. Everyone in this room has 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. What's your time look like? Is God preeminent in your time and how it's spent? How it's planned? Is God preeminent in your money? How it's gained and earned and spent and kept? Is He preeminent in your thoughts? What you think about? How about what you sacrifice for? Is God preeminent in the excuses that you make? Is God preeminent in the motivation of your heart and why you do what you do? Is God preeminent in the direction of your life and your home? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is God's presence known and practiced in your heart and your home? And I believe therein will be the difference maker of your Christian life. Let's take the test. What's your devotions look like before God? Do you even have a devotional life? The best way to enjoy your apple tree is to have planted it 25 years ago. But the best way to enjoy it now if you have not already planted it is to plant it today. Don't say because I'm such and such age or so far along and I've never started that I can't start now. Today is the day. That's why today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow or yesterday. It's today. Let's test it further. Is there even a moment of family worship in your home? Now, I'm not talking about worshiping your family. We've got enough of that. But worshiping with your family. Is your family with you not merely when you come to church, but are you together when you're home? Do you read together, pray together? Do you challenge one another and encourage one another? Are you a family unit or merely a family that is in the same home, sharing a roof? Is God's presence there in your attitude? How about your church life? Do you know that God is here not just when you show up and then he, he, He's still here and you, then you go away from His presence? Do you know He's with you? Day by day, moment by moment. Let's make it real simple today. Is God alone the God alone of our heart and our home? Today as we come time for a time of invitation, this altar is open. And Miss Joan is going to, Joanne's going to come and play and for us and the piano is going to play and we're not going to sing anything, but we're going to stand to our feet. If you've got something in your life right now, that's bigger than God is in your heart, come and see it crushed at this altar. If you've got something in your home that needs cleansing, that needs getting rid of, if you've got something that needs getting taken care of so that God would be first in your life, that He would be truly preeminent and that His presence would be known, that there would be no other gods in your life, would you come and get it right today? Because I'll tell you this, you're not alone. Come and see that the heart in the home 
is ordered with God above all things. Let's all stand this morning. This altar's open as the piano.